And will you open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And for those of you who were here last week, you will remember that I started the, the message last week and did not want to rush it to a completion. And um, I decided to stop at the appropriate time and to complete it this week because I think it is so absolutely necessary. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 2, and I'm going to read verses 11 and 14. And will you please do us the favor by standing again for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 11 and 14. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ or by Christ. And then verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Our Father, may the Spirit of God take the Word of God and make new men and women out of us, because your Word worked in us to accomplish that purpose. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation in, my heart, in our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. When I was on the table in the room where they were going to remove the filter from my groin, the doctor said, would you like to keep it? <laughs> and I looked at him, and the old, when I was a boy, I remember my sisters or my mother, somebody used to say, if looks could kill. Because <laughs> I want, wanted to know why in the world would I want to keep that? So tomorrow morning I, I go for my... Uh, my baker's cyst to remove. And I, I heard from several of you last Sunday, I thought I was bringing something new to you. A lot of you know what baker's cyst is. I have no clue still what it means. But they're going to deal with it tomorrow morning at 7.45. And uh, it's, it's interesting that it, with technology, we're, we're doing a lot of things with the body. And it's interesting because what the body needs from, from this point of view, we're thankful. We're thankful that we, we have the means by which we could do certain things. Remember I talked about the spiritual MRI, where when the Bible looks into our lives, it shows us things that, that the most brilliant, the brilliant of men and women in the world could never see if they don't have a spiritual eye to see. And, and, and what it shows us, how James puts it this way, there are times when we look into the perfect law of liberty and what we see we don't like, so we soon forget what we saw. 
I look and see how dirty my face is in the mirror, but I don't want to take time to wash my face, so I just keep on. The Bible says spiritually, this is what we do. We, we, when, when, when the spiritual MRI is taken and we discover, we see, we hear things, no, this can't be true. This can be true of somebody else, but not of me. This could be true of other nations, but not of this one. And so we looked at that. And, and, and the scripture says that spiritually we were dead. We didn't have the life of God. We we're all born in a condition that separated us from God. We came from the womb that way. Psalm 58 and verse 3. And God did something to intervene, not only to show us, but to do something about what is seen, what was seen by him, what he knew was there all the time. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 says that when God looked into the heart of man, it was only evil continually. God saw it. He knew it. And so we looked at the surgery last week. Now, we want, to, we want to look more this morning at the spiritual surgery and see how God deals with what you and I hate about ourselves. How God removes the baker's cyst, if you please. Technology can do that, but only God can take care of what is causing us grief in our spiritual lives and in the world at large. So we began last week by looking in, in section 2 by the spiritual surgery and we look at the surgeons. I mentioned to you that Dr. Duan was, was the special brain surgery that took care of my wife. And every time we talked to people, they told us he is one of the very best. He is the top brain surgeon in Oregon. And we were happy to have Dr. Duan take care of Lois at that time. But when it comes to spiritual surgery, it cannot be accomplished by human hands. That's what the text says. The word circumcision, when it was used in the Old Testament, was a, a, a medical procedure where a foreskin was removed as a covenant sign that we belong, that Israel belonged to God. As a nation. In the same way, this, the surgery that was taking place took place because of the quality of the surgeons who performed it. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible just for a moment to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Hebrews 9 and 14. The writer to the Hebrews is, uh, and it's interesting um, what Janelle had to say this morning about the fact that um, when the Bible was written, it was not concerned about punctuations. Because God was not dealing with, with, with grammar. <laughs> he was dealing with people who had sin. And uh, uh, when you read Hebrews, things just roll along. And sometimes you will see, uh, I remember when I f first started my theological training, that I would see the a comma, and then a capital letter afterwards. And I keep thinking, 
Well, you don't you do that after a full stop or a period. You don't do that after a comma or a colon or a semicolon. Then I remember one of my teachers saying that that when the writers were writing, they were not writing for for the English class, they were writing to the world. And then I understood. So when you read certain things like this, you will find that happens. The writer is dealing in Hebrews 9 with the difference between the blood of lambs and goats and heifer in the Old Testament. And it says, if in the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs were used to help pacify the sense of guilt in those who offer them, how much more, here are the surgeons, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God. Do you get that? This circumcision, this spiritual circumcision is through the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is involved in this surgery that is taking place in your life and mine. Let me put it this way. Number one, the surgery was designed by God. It was accomplished by God the Son. God the Father designed it. God the Son accomplished it. And God the Holy Spirit applies it. It was God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, and you believe through the work of the Spirit. So the the ones involved in this spiritual surgery that is to take place is the triune God. And let me tell you why this is important, friends. Because sin is against an infinite God And what is needed to pacify that is an infinite offering. None of us has that ability. Sin requires infinite punishment because it is against an infinite God. And so the whole Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, designed and accomplished for us. So now here's the surgery in verse 11. And you can always hear some of, the, some of the, the, the medical words here. Look at verse 11. And in him you were also circumcised by a circumcision made without hands. What is that? Just as someone was involved in the physical circumcision... Someone is involved in the spiritual circumcision and the purpose of circumcision is to remove something. Something that could be a stumbling, could be a difficulty. And look at, look at what the text says again. The circumcision made without hand in the removal of the body of the flesh. That is our sinful nature, which, was, which, was, which is... If you have not been born again, your sinful nature still crops up any time it wants to, and you are obligated 
to obey what it says. And so Jesus, how did he take care of this? Listen to what the text says in verse 14. Look at the end of verse 14. He did this through the removal of the sinful nature from its reign in our lives by nailing it to the cross. I'll look at that in a minute. On the cross of Good Friday, as we call it, you and I saw a bleeding man on a cross. You and I are affected by the blood running down his face. You and I are affected by the words he spoke from the cross. But my friends, that was not all that was taking place. In some mysterious way, when Jesus Christ cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that moment, in that moment known only to God the Father, who designed the whole surgery, and God the Son who is accomplishing it, in that moment that Jesus cried, those three hours in which there was darkness upon the earth as it were, God took care of every sin you and I have ever committed. He removed for us through the death of Christ the sinful nature that had plagued us, that told us to lie and to cheat and to hate and to connive. That's true of you and that's true of me. And outside of that surgery, we still do those things. This this sinful nature still crops up again and again. What did he do? Look Look at verse 14 again. In the surgery, he canceled the certificate. Um... Our, our son is driving. We, we, we got him a car some years ago. But it's still in my name. And every so often, I get a little letter from, from uh, Seattle that I owe the traffic department some money. Now, he doesn't speed. He knows better than that. <laughs> but they have, you know, if you have been to Seattle, the, the, the floating bridge, you now have to pay ta- um, toll to go over it. And every so often, he finds himself on that toll, on that bridge, and I get the bill. But I'm not stupid. I might be poor, but I'm not stupid. We have a joint account. And the last time he was down here, I said to him, Christopher, I have a letter here from Seattle. Good to go. Oh, okay. So I spoke with him the other day, and I said, did you pay them? Because I'm going to get another bill if you don't. (laughs) He said, Dad, I was so busy. And he has been. He really, really has been. And uh, he said, I'm going to do it today. So we'll call later on today. (laughs) 
but my name is on it. My infraction is on it, even though I wasn't driving the car. And it says, you owe so much. And, and, and the way that that will be cared for is that it will be paid in the very same way, friends, you and I have an account with God, a ledger in which our sins are recorded. Now, please don't think that God has a book like this. The word says book, but it, it, it's giving the English reader an understanding because God doesn't need to write something to remember. But he knows he has a record of the secret things in your life and mine. And the Bible is saying that when Jesus Christ died, everything that was written against us before God, Jesus by his blood wiped out. And we no longer, we no longer are accountable to God. Because sin demands punishment. A holy God could not just give a blind eye to sin. He deals with it. And you and I could not pay for our sins. Listen to what we needed. We needed forgiveness. Forgiveness for those sins we had committed. And please understand this. We do not simply commit sin against one another. We commit sin first by rejecting God's authority over our lives. And when we reject his authority over our lives, we are then able to sin against one another. Listen to what Isaiah 43, 45, and Jeremiah 31 34 says, I have blotted out your transgression. Now, what is this bug doing here? Eek. I, I wonder who sent it. <laughs> I have blotted out your transgressions as a thick cloud. Listen now. And your sins I will remember no more. God doesn't... I, 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 heard, I heard the story of a man who... who please, I, it's a story I heard, okay? I, not me. Went, went to, to see a counselor, and he says, I, I can't understand my wife. Every time I go to her with something and something happens, she becomes very historical. And the, the, the doctor said, no, you don't mean historical. You mean hysterical. hysterical. No, 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 I mean historical, because she brings up everything I have done in the past. <laughs> Listen, my friends, we do that. Whenever we relate to people, how many times do I have to tell you not to do that? How often will you do that? Listen, God never deals with us historically. 
The only history between us and God is the cross of His Son by which His blood avails to this very moment so that when we go before God, even when we fail, we can go and we can ask for forgiveness and He never says to us, how often do I have to forgive you that? He never says that. Your sins, I will remember. Listen, friends, there are things in my life, oh, how I wish I could go back to my teen years. And again, please understand me. I'm not talking about me getting into trouble with the law because I never was, for which I'm thankful. But against God. Thoughts, desires, desires that made me want to, 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 to get away from God so that I could do what I wanted to do. And David asked God, please forgive the sins of my youth and sins that followed after. That's what he did. He removed the charge. He takes care of the guilt. That's why, my friends, when we, when we, you ask why many people are not Christians today, it's because this generation is the first generation that feels it owes God nothing. We, 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 we brought our children into the world telling them how awesome they are. And if they are awesome, then what do we need to worry about God for? See, the Bible has a different take on that. We need forgiveness. I, I told you about Dr. Hobart Mower, a psychiatrist, a non-believer, who said when we started to treat the behavior of men as sickness and not sin, we made a tragic mistake. That's not from the life of a pastor or a preacher. Exactly what God says he has forgiven you all, all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out, listen, he has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which was always hanging over our heads and he has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. There are some denominations that do not want to hear anything about the cross because it is too bloody. Those are their words. And I'm telling you, friends, that I am thankful that we have the blood of the cross because by the blood of Christ, God's Son, my sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So, so effective in this that the apostle talks about the success of the surgery. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13 of Colossians. When you were dead in your transgressions and sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that is the, the sinful nature, look at the next words. He made you alive. Ah, you were dead. If you allow me to use my wife again when she went back to see Dr. Duan. Dr. Duan looked and 
he said to Lois, the surgery was a success, and here are proofs of it. And he went on and shared certain things. Well, my friends, if I talk about a spiritual surgery and I don't have proof for it, I'm not too sure that you will think that I know what I'm talking about. Look, look at what the text says. He made you alive. Once we die, we don't have any appetite. When Jesus raised that little girl from the dead, the first thing he said was, give her something to eat. Because the sure sign that she's alive is that she will have an appetite. So when we are made alive, we will show that we are alive by having a spiritual appetite. You cannot be a Christian if you do not have a spiritual appetite. Because that's a sign of life. Jesus in John chapter 5 verse 24 said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words and believe in him who has sent me has eternal life, listen, and is passed from death to life. Now, I, I don't want you to take me to be an example for anything because I am what I am by the grace of God. But I remember when I became a Christian. one of the first things I started to do was to read God's Word. There was an appetite I didn't have before. In fact, I'll tell you how, how immersed I was in this. I used to get up in the mornings at 4 o'clock to read the Word of God, to sing the Psalms, because I read somewhere that John Wesley did that. And so I, I, would, I would rise early in the morning because there was an appetite that could not be satisfied before, as before. Everything that I had ever done before, and I was saved just at that crucial point of my life where your life can be changed or you can continue in the direction you were going. And my life was changed. Listen to Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. This is a sign of life. Thy words were found, and I ate them, and thy word became a joy and delight to my heart. That's someone who is brought back from death. The proof of spiritual life is an appetite for the word of God. When Jesus was in the wilderness... The appetite and the satisfaction of the word of God was seen in that when Satan tempted him... He spoke God's word to Satan. It is written. Jesus knew what it was. Psalm 119 and verse 3 says this. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey in my mouth. You were dead, but he made you alive. And one of the signs of your spiritual life is an appetite for God's word. The church in Thessalonica. Paul talks to the church in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 8. He said, you receive the word of God, 
And from you the word of God was sounded forth. You received that. And from you it, it went out. So, so, so that people began to hear the word of God from those who are alive. Not physical life, but spiritual life. God creates in salvation a thirst for his word and communion with him, which is a sign that you have spiritual life. That I have spiritual life. I don't know how many times I read My Uttermost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Still one of the bestsellers, if you please. But I was reading it to the place where God's Spirit spoke to my heart, Winston, Oswald is not God. <clears throat> because if I didn't have time to read God's Word, I would read Oswald Chambers. Now, tell me if that makes sense. I didn't have time to read God's word, but I'll read Oswald Chambers. What is Oswald Chambers talking about? God's word. So you see how we can mix things up? Let the word of God then dwell in your heart richly. Spiritual surgery awakens that which was dead to seek God. To love God, to abide in God's word, to let God's word abide in him or her. Spiritual surgery remove, listen, everything that could block communion with God, spiritual surgery removes and says, you're healed. You're alive now. Oh, friends, I tell you, this, this is amazing stuff. Because you've got to ask yourself, listen, I, I used to, when I was a teenager, I worked for a gentleman, and uh, if you want to know how long ago that was, my salary was seven bucks a week. And I used to have some friends who used to make it known to me they would never work for seven bucks a week. In fact, they didn't work at all. <laughs> when I got my seven bucks, guess who wanted to borrow money? <laughs> Those who wouldn't work for seven bucks a week. What am I saying, friends? That it is possible for you as a Christian, it is possible for me as a Christian, to be spiritually alive, but to be spiritually lazy. The scripture says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, we could be spiritually lazy. Now, I'm not scolding anyone, I hope. I don't intend to do that. That's not my intention. But I'm saying, one of the reasons, my friends, that we don't have the spiritual energy and excitement is because God's word is not working in us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, the word of God works in you. And Paul says, when that work, when that that that." word is working in you. People hear about you. People want to come where you are because God word, God's word is alive in living people who are actually using God's word to live the, the everyday life.
now Paul says something else, and I'm going to close with this because I'm not going to go into this right now. I'll take this separately. But listen again. Go back to verse 11. And Paul said, uh, let me read it. 11. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, that is the spiritual, in the removal of the body of sin. He is dealing with our sinful nature by the circumcision by Christ who took what was against us and nailed them to the cross. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. Listen. Not only is there a spiritual appetite for God's word, but it's a spiritual appetite to obey God's word. To obey them. Baptism comes out of live people, spiritually alive, who because Jesus commanded, but Jesus was an example of it, want to do it themselves. Baptism is, is, is not a church ordinance. It is what Christ says we are supposed to do. And I won't get into it this Sunday. I'll take it by itself. But I want you to see, friends, that when we are alive, when we, when we have been brought to spiritual life in Christ, His Word is the foundation upon which we live our lives. Obedience is the proof that we're living in Him. In Him. Let me close with these two main reasons. What I trust that you might have as we come to the end of this morning. You may still be dead. That's why you don't have an appetite for God's Word. The Bible said if you confess your sins and believe in Jesus Christ who died for those sins, you will be saved. You will be, you will be delivered from death to life. If you don't have an appetite, ask yourself why. Is it that I'm still spiritually dead? If I'm bored by God's word, it's a sign, my friends, that you're dead. But you can be made alive today, this minute, by saying, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and I want to receive him as my Savior. Life will become different for you as it did for me. If you have trusted Jesus as Savior, but still have no spiritual appetite, you need spiritual help. And that is why God has given the church, the pastors, the teachers, that they might be able to help God's people to come to the place where they will begin to develop an appetite. See, I can't, I can't cause you to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But the Holy Spirit has given men like myself and teachers that teach Sunday school to help you to see how and where and when. So there are two kinds of people in this audience this morning. One, those who are still dead and they need life. And Jesus offers it to you. But then there are those who might be spiritually lazy and they need to repent and to say to God, I'm just thinking of an old song of wandered far away from God. 
Now I'm coming home. You might need to come home this morning because God wants to give you the life that Jesus Christ came to give. Listen to what he says. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. That's the promise. If, if that doesn't make sense to you, you need it. One way or another. Let us pray. Take a moment, friends, to reflect upon God's word this morning. How have you been affected by it? Do you want what God has promised? Then ask him for it. If you do not have that, that appetite, ask him to give you life trusting in Jesus Christ that you might pass from death to life so that you might have that appetite. However God has spoken to you this morning, take time to respond to him in these moments. Father, you know what has been said to you from the hearts of those whose heads are bowed before you this morning. Oh God, make alive, make alive today. And may those, Lord, who have come to Christ, faith in Christ, create a thirst and an appetite for the truth, for the word of God, so that, Lord, we will never be the same because of finding the word of God eating it, and it became something wonderful in our mouths and in our hearts. Finish the work, Lord, you have started this morning for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen.